0: Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 15, if you would, stand for reading of God's word. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen a star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all, it, all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who, shall, who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child, And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, and they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt and was there until the death of Herod that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I have called my son. This is the word of God. Please be seated. So in the past couple of weeks we've had a Christmas theme. We talked about the promised Messiah, that Jesus would be coming to save the save people from their sins. And the promise of the Messiah was first prophesied in Genesis chapter 315, when Jesus would crush Satan's head. And that was right off the bat, there was a promise that Messiah would come, Jesus Messiah would come. We had, last week, we introduced the story of Zacharias, and he had his big day of, of burning incense on the altar of incense, and this was a once-in-a-lifetime thing, and most priests never even got to do it once-in-a-lifetime, so this was a super special moment for him. But this was superseded by an even more special moment when the angel stands next to him, right next to the altar of incense, and this angel says, hey, you're going to have a, have a son, He's going to be a special son. He's going to name him John, and he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit from the womb. He'll be great in the sight of the Lord, and he'll be used by God to turn many of the children of Israel back to the Lord and make ready a people prepared for for the Lord. This week, our Christmas story continues with the story of the wise men, a star, their journey from the east, the gifts that they gave to Jesus, Herod, we talk about Herod the despotic king bent on eliminating any threat to his crown, that means trying to kill Jesus, who's the focal point of the entire Christmas story and how Jesus made his escape to Egypt. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time to study your word. We thank you for the wonderful season that this is, that we celebrate the birth of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, may we remember, keep it front and just right in front of us, he is the reason for the season. Not all the glitz and the glamour, but the Lord Jesus. May we be focused on him this year. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, just a brief discussion about the main characters. Who were the wise men? Where did they come from? What was their purpose? Why would they take a journey to visit this little baby in Bethlehem? There's much conjecture about these guys. Some people think they're kings from the east. Others say they're astrologers, some astronomers, some magicians. The word wise means magos in the, in the Greek, M-A-G-O-S, and it means a magician, a scientist, a sorcerer, an astronomer, or an astrologer. So take your pick. There's one of these guys. The question is, is, how would these wise men, how would they know about a Jewish Savior? How would they know about Jesus Messiah coming into this world? And I will suggest to you that they knew this from the prophet Daniel. The prophet Daniel. In Daniel chapter 2, we read that Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream about a statue that was going to be a head of gold and chest of silver and, and, and breastplate of, of bronze and legs of iron. And this looked like a great, magnificent statue to Nebuchadnezzar. Now, when God views the statue, he views it very differently. He views it as a beast. He describes it later, but Nebuchadnezzar's, Dilemma is, what does this statue mean? And so he summons all the wise men, all from the Chaldean area, all from the Babylonian area. Every wise man was to come and interpret this dream. Now the wise men said this, tell us the dream and we will interpret it. And Nebuchadnezzar says, oh no, I'm not falling for that one. I want you to be the ones that interpret the dream without me telling you. They could not do it, so Nebuchadnezzar was going to kill all of them. We pick it up in verse 13. So the decree went out, and they began killing the wise men. It wasn't so wise to be a wise man in Babylon at that time, I can tell you. And they sought to kill Daniel, who was part of this contingent, because he was recognized as being extremely wise, and his companions to kill them. Then with counsel and wisdom, Daniel answered Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. And he answered and said to Arioch, the captain's king, Why is this decree from the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the decision known to Daniel. So Daniel went and asked the king to give him time. Now watch this. Daniel had the courage to go before King Nebuchadnezzar and say, Hold it. Give us some more time. Now this king could have taken his life in a flash. but The king listened to him. And he might tell the king the interpretation and Daniel went to his house, and with Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, that's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, his companions, that they might seek mercies from God, And in a night vision in verse 19, God gives him the answer. And he tells Nebuchadnezzar that this is what the statue of gold is. This image, the head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, and its belly and thighs of bronze, the legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. And then there's a mentioning of a stone that comes out and destroys all these kingdoms. And it says later in Daniel that that stone that destroys all these kingdoms is the kingdom of the lord jesus christ that he comes and he reigns daniel is rewarded in verse 48 for his answering the king's the king's uh, dream and for saving the lives of the wise men it says this and the king promoted daniel gave him many great gifts and he made him ruler over the whole province of babylon and chief administrator over all of the wise men of babylon He becomes the number one wise man in that group. I will suggest to you that that information was disseminated throughout Babylonian history from wise men to wise men to wise men as time went on telling what Daniel did all the way down to the time when this star appears. So, God is using Daniel to do this. Now, I also want to just read to you in Daniel chapter 7 the kingdom that is going to be coming. This is the fourth vision that Daniel has in chapter 7. And and he's explaining what this vision is from God's perspective, talking about the four beasts that come forward. And the fourth vision is this, that God will establish a kingdom through his Son on this earth. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, that would be Jesus, coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and he brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion, this is Jesus, and glory and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. And his dominion will be an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. So these guys know that there's going to be someone coming that's going to establish an everlasting kingdom. Greater than Nebuchadnezzar, greater than Cyrus's Persia, greater than Alexander's Greece greater than all the Caesars of Rome, greater than any kingdom that has ever reigned on this earth. And Jesus is going to be the one that establishes that kingdom. And these guys know this. The wise men were looking for the one Daniel was referring to in in chapter 7 that I just read about. The wise men are indeed wise. God put it into their hearts to search for the greatest king of all, the Lord Jesus. And I'll tell you, men that search for Jesus are wise. When I say men, it's men and women. It's generic. Generic. It's mankind. The one whom the kingdom shall have no end. Now, what about the star? So the wise men follow the star. Three wise men. Well, I'll tell you, I think it's more than three guys. And I think that that luminary in the sky wasn't some little dot off on the horizon. It was some magnificent star that led them directly to Jerusalem and then from there to Bethlehem. So that's the story there. So I want you to realize in Genesis 1.14 that God did this. I think God put the luminaries in the sky, the moon, the planets, and everything out there for mankind to know about him. Genesis 1.14, God said, Let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. This verse tells us That God had appointed the stars with a purpose to mark significant times in history. Folks, the stars have a purpose for mankind. Psalm 19 says this, The skies pour forth knowledge night after night. 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God. The heavens declare. You just look into the heavens and you know that somebody did that. The heavenly bodies are signs of the magnificence of God, His creative majesty and His order. God is telling humanity with a big neon sign, I am here. I am here. And it's just screaming, I exist. I am here. Romans 1.20 says this, For since the creation of the world, his his invisible attributes are clearly seen. Mankind knows intuitively by the creation that there is God. The star in our story was a celestial miracle used by God to direct the wise men to the Savior. God has been leading mankind to the Savior by the heavens, declaring his glory from the beginning of time. He continues to do this today. All we have to do is look up in amazement at what our creator has created. God created the heavens and the earth. God made a magnificent creation. God is screaming to humanity, I am here. Believe in my son. Turn to him. The star. What about Herod? Herod. Well, Herod's a real work. We're talking about Herod the Great. There's a whole bunch of Herods, but this is the first one. Herod the Great, the first of several important rulers from the Herodian dynasty who are named in Scripture. This Herod was the founder of that famous line. He ruled from 37 to 4 BC. That was his timeline. He is thought to have been an idumenium which means he's a descendant of the Edomites, the offspring of Esau. So you have to have some Old Testament knowledge to know exactly what I meant there. But Jacob and Esau were were combatants. From Jacob came the nation of Israel. From Esau came Edom. And these two have been in conflict forever, forever. And Esau is always trying to kill. Herod is a picture of of the Edomites trying to kill the Messiah, trying to kill the Jews, trying to kill the, the offspring of the Jews, the Messiah. Herod, more about him, he, he was a tremendous builder. He was an architect. When you go to Israel, you can see his work to this day. He, he built in Jerusalem. He, he had a, a spectacular port city of Caesarea named after the emperor Caesar. He restored the magnificent Jerusalem temple, which later was destroyed by Rome. His massive building programs were just enormous. They included theaters, amphitheaters, a port, markets, temples, housing, palaces, walls around Jerusalem, aqueducts. He was a phenomenal architect, but he was also a brutal man. He killed his father-in-law, several of his ten wives, and two of his sons. He ignored the laws of God to suit himself. He chose the favor of Rome over his own people. Herod levied heavy taxes to pay for his lav- lavish projects. Herod was powerful. Herod was ruthless. Herod was feared, and Herod was hated, and he died in 4 BC. His son Herod Antipas ruled after him, and he's the one that was responsible for killing John the Baptist and the one eventually that was involved in Jesus. Remember, he's the one that wanted Jesus to do a trick, to do a miracle, and Jesus didn't answer him. When you you think about Herod and, and 37 to 4 BC, I want you to remember that the calendar is based upon Jesus Christ. B.C. is before Christ, A.D. is Anno Domini, it's the year of our Lord, the last B.C. is 1 B.C., and the first A.D. is 1 A.D., there is no 0 A.D. or 0 B.C. Herod's death was in 4 B.C., Jesus was born during the reign of Herod the king, Herod killed the the kids two years old and, and younger to try to eliminate the Messiah. So the postulate here is that Jesus was born between 6 and 4 BC, probably around 5 BC. okay, And he died around 30 AD, which would put him approximately 35 years old. So I don't know if that just destroys your paradigm of the timeline for Jesus, but this is probably a pretty accurate depiction of, of, of when he was born and, and his age and that sort of thing. Now, I want you to, to, to think about something. Herod the Great attempted to kill Jesus by issuing the edict to kill all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all the districts, from two years old and under. And Satan's plan was thwarted by Joseph and Mary, fleeing to Egypt. He had a dream and he fled. And they stayed there until Herod's death in 4 BC. I want to take a little journey, a little journey with you for just just a moment, to talk a little bit about Satan's strategy to destroy the Messiah. And destroy the people of God started with trying to destroy the entire human race remember the flood I think there was a real flood there was a real Noah there was a real ark there was eight people that were saved in all what had happened is that the gene pool I believe was contaminated by demons cohabitating with women that the daughters of men at that time and they were contaminating the gene pool between demons and people and these people And Satan's plan almost worked because the whole world was swayed in this direction except for Noah and his wife. And he found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And he built an ark and eight people were saved. It got down to eight people on earth who believed and weren't turned to this demonic deception. The next thing he did was try to destroy the nation of Israel. 4,000 years ago, God raised up a man named Abraham took him out of Ur of the Chaldeans, took him right out of, a, out of a heathen nation, worshiping the moon God, and turned him around to worship the true God. And he gave him a promise in Genesis 12, 1 through 3, that this nation would be a blessing, his name would be great, those who bless them will bless thee, and those who curse Israel would be cursed. And this promise is to today. God's made a promise to the descendants of, of Abraham that they would have a nation Forever. Forever. The Jews will never be eliminated. This, for this reason, Satan has a special attention to Abraham's descendants. He wants to kill the Jews. If you kill the Jews, you can stop the Messiah from coming because they have to plead for Messiah to come back. And he's had a strategy. In the book of Esther, we see Haman. Now, you might not know these names, but Haman was a guy that was, that was trying to kill the Jewish people. He wanted to destroy them. And he was, on, he, his, he was unsuccessful. He successful Hina being hanged instead of Mordecai. But anyway, God thwarted his plan. God providentially intervened from time and time again to save the nation of Israel. Messiah is coming. Messiah is coming. Nothing you do, Satan, will inhibit that. Cain and Abel. We had that situation where Satan put it in the heart of Cain to kill his brother Abel. Thought that he'd cut off the line of Messiah. And then they have another child called Seth, who then the lineage of Messiah was continued. Then they try to kill Jesus as as the baby, as we talked about in Bethlehem. And then Satan tries to tempt Jesus in the wilderness to capitulate to Satan's demands, not go to the cross, and thwart the plan for Jesus to save the people from their sins. Satan attempted to thwart God's plan by having Jesus worship him. Satan says to Jesus, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me, in Matthew 4.9. What was he showing him? He was showing him all the kingdoms of the world. He was showing them all the rulership of these kingdoms. If you bow down, you won't have to go to the cross and you won't have to die. And Jesus said three times to Satan, it is written. It is written. It is written. You shall worship the Lord your God. And Satan's plan was again thwarted. And finally, the mission is accomplished. And Jesus dies on the cross for the sins of the world. And the last thing that Jesus said when he was dying, as he he was giving up his ghost, as he offered him the vinegar... He said these words, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. I don't know if you remember this, but when he said it is finished, that word is tetelestai, paid in full. Man's debt was paid in full. Jesus' death made all men savable. Not that they're all saved, that would be universalism, but all humanity are, are savable if they simply receive the gift of salvation and believe that Jesus died for their sins. Jesus came as promised and fulfilled his mission in spite of all the efforts of Satan. And you know who Satan still targets today? He still targets the Jewish people. We had a holocaust during World War II where one-third were killed. There is a second holocaust that is coming when the Antichrist comes into power, and he will kill two-thirds of the Jews, according to Zechariah 13.8. But it's not just the Jews that he wants to kill. He wants to kill the offspring. And that would be the church. And you know what Jesus said about his church in Matthew 16, 18? He's talking to Peter and he says, on this rock, talking about himself, I will build my church and the gates of Hades, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The gates of hell are all the attacks of Satan will not prevail against the church. God will have a people that will be his people called out, called by his name. True believers in Jesus true believers in Jesus. This battle will go on until the end when Jesus comes back and sets up his kingdom like was prophesied in Daniel chapter 7. And it will be an eternal kingdom. And you see this kingdom coming in in Revelation chapter 19 when he comes on the white horse. And he takes control of all the kingdoms of earth. And he destroys the Antichrist. He destroys the false prophet. He is the one that has Satan thrown into the pit as one messenger angel with the power of God, takes Satan, binds him in Revelation chapter 20, and throws him in the pit for a a thousand years, and then the thousand-year reign of Christ starts. And he he will be king of kings and lord of lords, and his kingdom will have no end. There will be no other kingdom that rises up, no other Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, ten-nation confederations, no more it'll be messiah's kingdom. That's the summary. Satan has lost and the Lord has prevailed. And if there's ever a time to say thank you Lord, that would be that would be a thank you Lord. Yay, cheer, okay? So, verse 1 and 2, back to our story. The wise men's journey. The wise men's journey. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold the wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. I want you to notice a couple things here. We have seen his star. And like I said, this is a magnificent star. This isn't some little flittering thing that they're trying to figure out. This is something that is directing them every day. The star appeared at the very time of Jesus' birth. And I want you to notice that it appeared to Gentiles. Not just, it didn't appear to Jews, it appeared to Gentiles. From another nation, God is including from the outset Jews and Gentiles in his redemptive plan. Jews and Gentiles. The star appeared for the purpose of guiding wise men to the Christ. This light in the heavens was guiding mankind to the light of the world. Remember, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And this one that is the light of the world was the one in Genesis chapter 1, it says, let there be light. Jesus was the one that did the creation. Jesus is the light of the world. The light in the heavens directed these folks to the light of the world. And the result of their journey is they worshipped him. They worshipped him. And I will submit to you that wise men want to be part of this kingdom. These wise men want to be part of his kingdom, but wise men and women want to be part of his kingdom all mankind is on a journey to discover the true king and worship him like these men i just please hear this let nothing stop you let nothing keep you from your king the lord is always revealing himself to people look around he even uses stars to draw people to himself and i want you to i want you to think about this do not overlook the journey that these men made these wise men made they were probably on camels. They're always viewed as on camels. I don't know if that's the way they really traveled. But they, they're viewed on camels. But we do know they went through a desert. They probably were thieves and robbers would be a constant threat to them. It was a long, uncomfortable, hot during the day, cold at night journey. And you know what the most difficult thing was? They didn't know when this journey would end. They started on it. I mean, don't you like to know when it's, how it's going to end? When are we going to get there, dad You know, are we there yet? I mean, aren't you constantly hearing that? Yeah, I mean, they didn't know that. They didn't know. That's a faith journey, folks. When you don't know how something's going to end and you keep going, that is a faith journey. They just kept on not quitting, no matter the obstacles, the discomfort, whatever. Nothing would stop them from making it to this king that Daniel talked about. Nothing would stop them. And I would suggest to you today that God is looking for men and women of steel. Steel, tenacity, toughness, who will just keep on, not give up or be sidelined by the least little bit of adversity. In the end, they saw the Messiah, and they gave him gifts, not even realizing that one day this baby would grow into a man and would die for their sins, and he would be the greatest gift of all. They gave him gifts, and Jesus gave the greatest gift of all, his life, for us. They didn't realize it. Didn't realize it. Verse 3 through 8. Herod hears the disturbing news. Now, Herod is is a control freak. Anything that comes to jeopardize his kingdom, he's eliminating. Verses 3 through 8. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. He was agitated. And all Jerusalem with him. Now, this suggests there's more than three dudes riding in on the camels, okay? This is an entourage. This is a a whole bunch of folks coming in. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes, this would be their wise men, okay? Of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. And then he quotes Micah 5, 2. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah? For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. And they stopped right there. You know what the rest of that verse says? That they didn't want to share with King Herod? It says this. Whose going forth is from old, from everlasting to everlasting. This one that is coming to earth is God. Herod would not want to hear that. He thought he was God. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, secretly, That's how Satan does, secretly behind the scenes, determined from from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring word to me that I may come and worship him. Isn't that just like the devil? Just like the devil. Deception, deception. Now, picture this. These guys are coming into town. This is an entourage. Looks pretty impressive. Pretty impressive. The whole town and Herod were wondering this. Who are these guys? They had a disturbing message. This is said with some force. Where is he who is born king of the Jews? Tell us. We want to know this. Almost a demanding tone. Almost a demanding tone. When they arrive in Jerusalem, there's there's turmoil, and everybody's wondering why are these guys here. And I would suggest to you that Herod had a what in the world is going on moment? What is going on? There's a mess going on here. Remember, Herod's a killer, like his father the devil. Remember what Jesus said in John 8:44 when he's talking to the Pharisees? You belong to your father the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, because he is a liar and the father of lies. Well, that's Herod's. That's, that's what Herod's cut out of. So, they summon, so he summons the Magi, and then he panders to them. He panders to them. Let them. And he wants them to spill the beans and where the computer king is going to be. I want to go and worship him. That's a lie. Remember, Satan's strategy is to kill the Messiah and eliminate him so he cannot reign. In verses 9 through 12, we see the mission is going to be accomplished. Nothing will stop these guys from accomplishing their mission. First of all, it was ordained by God. Secondly, these guys are tough. They are going to go to the finish line. And I want, I want to show you something here that I've not really seen before, but maybe you have. We'll see. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen, had seen, it, it intimates that it had disappeared in the east, went before them, till it came and stood over the young, where the young child was. This is a a monumental moment for them, because they knew that the child was born in Bethlehem, but they didn't know exactly where. And that star reappeared in the sky. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come to the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And they opened their treasures and presented their gifts to him of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and being divinely worn in a dream that they should not return to Herod. They departed for their own country another way. few things to think about. Again, the star reappeared. This is a miracle. And I want to say, God always leads us one step at a time as you obey him. These guys would not quit. That light lighted the sky one step at a time, one step at a time, all the way to Bethlehem, the house that Jesus was living in. Psalm 119.105, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. One step at a time. The light for the next step, the next obedience step. If you want to know what to do in a situation, step out in the light that you have been given and more light will come. That is a principle. When they saw the star reappear, the magi were ecstatic and had directed them to the specific house, to the specific street, to the specific yard, that Jesus was in. God's word, folks, is a light that leads people to Jesus Christ and gives us special directions, just like that light in the sky. This word gives us special directions on how to live for Messiah, how to get to Messiah, and how to what to believe about Messiah. Now, this is quite different than what we see today with the manger scene, with the... Three wise men coming up in the gold, myrrh, and frankincense and that sort of thing. A very different picture because there is no inn. There is no stable. They're in a house. They saw a child, a pation in the Greek, which means a toddler, a toddler with Mary. Now, if you were the wise men and you were traveling all this time, would you think that you would get to this plain house or you think you would come to a king that had a little bit of opulence? I bet they were as surprised as Mary was surprised when they knocked on the door with these 30 or 40 guys going, we want to see the toddler, we want to see Jesus. A lot of surprising on both both parts of this. But Jesus came to relate to the common man. He did not come as a king, but remember he came as a common man, as a servant. Remember, do not think I come to be served, but to serve and give my life a ransom for many. And I also want you to notice that when they walk into the house, they bypass Mary and fall down and worship Jesus the toddler. Now this had to be an amazing sight. The two-year-old running around, probably not knowing exactly what's going on, and all these people bowing down, let's say there's 20 of them, bowing down and worshiping him. And he's probably, what is going on? And Mary is probably a little stunned at this picture. So, and then they give they give gifts, but notice that they give gifts, gifts not to Mary and Joseph but to the toddler. They give it to Jesus. This suggests that there's no worship of Mary. There's no worship of Mary. They just bypassed her. And they go right to Jesus with gold for royalty, frankincense, a sweet fragrance, a picture of Jesus' life. And then myrrh is going to, of course, the emblematic of his death. The king, this king, this one who is royalty, whose life was a sweet fragrance, would die a sacrificial death for all of us. He would take all of our sins upon himself. We have nothing to bring him. What gift can we possibly give the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? We bring our best to our King. He saves us and we bring our best. That's what we bring to our Jesus. We don't give him scraps. We bring him our best. We bring him our best. You know what? The greatest gift that Jesus gave us was our life. Remember, Jesus is pictured as the bridegroom. Bridegroom. And the church is the bride. And he gives an offer of betrothal to all humanity. Come and be wed to me. And he simply waits for each person to say in their own heart, I do. Remember that wedding ceremony? You're you're, you're facing each other and you say, I do to your spouse. That's what we are saying to Jesus when we receive him as Savior. Believe he died for our sins. I do, Lord. I commit myself to you. Forsaking all others, I do. I pledge myself to you. And remember this, Jesus will have no competitors. He will have no competitors. There will be no competing idol. When you see I do to him, your commitment is to him and him alone. Not part in the world or part with an idol or whatever it is. It is to him. Our lives from that moment of acceptance is to be lived for his honor and his glory in preparation for the day when he comes and he fetches his bride. That's how the Jews put it. He fetches his bride. That comes when Jesus comes back, and I believe that's the rapture of the church, when he comes and fetches his bride and takes you to Father's house. There's a practical aspect to these gifts. The gold, frankincense, and more were valuable, and they provided for Jesus' trip into Egypt. Provided from how God provides in impossible situations. The Magi were then warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod and they should go home by another route. God is taking care of his people, and I will suggest God is always at work taking care of you from birth to the time you get to go home. I don't want to even call it death anymore because we don't really die. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me, he said this miraculous thing, will never die and then he says to Mary and Martha do you believe this the question is do we believe this today do we believe this today what hope think about this the wise men came us to Jesus a certain way had a certain expectation and when they leave Jesus they leave another way when we see Jesus as he really is we never leave the same way we came Jesus is a life changer. Jesus is a life changer. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. And finally, verse 13 through 15, the great escape, very quickly. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and flee to Egypt. This is haste. And stay there until I bring you word for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. Just very quickly, Joseph has another dream. He probably sees Gabriel again and says, Get out. And notice that he gets out with haste. When he arose, uh, this is in the middle of the night. He took the young child and his mother by night and departed. This was an instant obedience. Dream, awake, Mary, let's go. Jesus, let's go. We are getting out of here right now. Now, why do they go to Egypt? Why do they go to Egypt? To fulfill prophecy. Out of Egypt I called my son, Numbers 24, 8, and Hosea 11, 1. And think about this. Egypt is a picture of the world. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, God becomes a human being, comes into this world to take us out of this world, to free us from the world's bondage, so to speak, to take us out of this world to his world. This is our great escape from all the mess of sin, freed by the sacrifice of Jesus, freed from Satan's kingdom. That's a great escape. Freed from the bondage of our fallen flesh that we fight with every day, you know, the one that tells you, do this, go do this, and you know it's going to get you in trouble. Free from that body, that's a great escape. And freed from the world system that wants you to have a worldview that is contrary to this word, that walks lockstep with them. We have been set free from Satan's slavery. If the sun makes you free, folks, you are free. What does it say? Indeed, indeed. Conclusion. There you have it. The Magi... A star, Herod, and Jesus. Another part of the Christmas story. God promised a Messiah. One who would save the world from their sins. And he came. He came. He came to live here as one of us. He experienced this earth like one of us. He knows what it is like to suffer, to be rejected, to be ridiculed, and to not fit in. To not fit in. Jesus knows Jesus is the main role player here. But Zacharias had his role to play, and so did Elizabeth with John. Herod had his role to play as the despotic king who wants to kill Jesus. The wise men had their role to play. And I'll tell you, wise men and women seek Jesus. That's the beginning of wisdom. Fear the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A star had its role to play. Follow the light that God gives you to the Messiah. He's shining a light to every person. Blasting it in front of every person. Follow the light that he gives you to the Messiah. There were three specific places that had a role to play. One was Bethlehem, his birthplace. Had to be very specific. One was Egypt where he went and found shelter for his protection. One was Nazareth, his home, which was a military town, a poor town. But the prophets say he will be called a Nazarene in Matthew 2.23. Three places were prophesied. All three were correct. Who but our sovereign Lord could have orchestrated such a fulfillment? And finally, you have a role to play. You have a role to play to celebrate his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, and his return. That we are to be a loyal bride awaiting our bridegroom. And we are to follow the light that he gives us while we are here. We are walking the light as he is in the light and have fellowship with one another. The Christmas story is replete with God using men and women, corrupt kings, magi, celestial events, all to introduce his son to a world that desperately needed a savior. And God will do whatever whatever, he can, whatever has to be done, whatever means to bring people to the knowledge of his son. He's a creator. He has infinite creativity. In your life, he has done just that. You must believe the Christmas story. You must believe the resurrection story. God has given his best. He has given his only begotten son. God has sacrificed everything for us. God has given mankind light to see. Now it's up to man to see the truth and to believe the truth. The ball is in our court, folks, this Christmas season. It is up to each one of us to receive the free gift of salvation, which is offered to all who will simply believe. Believe. I believe you died for me, and I receive the gift of salvation that you offer. May this Christmas season be your best ever for his glory. May his light guide your steps now and forevermore. And may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus as you live out your purpose here. Merry Christmas, 2017. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time that you've given us to study your word. Thank you for each person that had a role in this. Even Herod being thwarted by you is good news. And uh, Lord, I just thank you for the Lord Jesus. I thank you that he was born, that he really was, that he came to this earth, that he lived a perfect life, He died for our sins. He was buried. He rose again from the dead. And he's coming again. And he's coming for a people that have believed him. Believed him to be their sin bearer. And I pray that each person in here would know the Lord Jesus as their Savior and say, no more living for me. I'm living for this king. And may nothing stop you from getting to your king. God has prepared a way. He has given us the light. And may we respond to the light that he has given us. And maybe we say, yes, Lord Jesus, I receive you as my Lord and Savior. I believe that you died for my sins, and I want to be your disciple. I want to be your servant. I want to follow you all the days of my life until you come and take me home. Thank you for this story, Lord. Thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen.